Good day, everyone. This is another episode of the Muni Poly Matters podcast. I am Alan once again, uh, here with you chatting with another candidate running in the Ontario municipal election on October 24th. Um, chatting uh, this time with another candidate from the city of Toronto, uh, just to um, just sort of uh, bring you up to speed here a little bit. Uh, the last time I spoke with Kevin Rupasing from Scarborough Southwest. I asked him, who should I talk to? That seems like a progressive young person uh, looking to become a new face on city council, which is sort of the theme I'm going with here. And then he suggested someone named Amber Morley from Ward 3 in Etobicoke Lakeshore. So we're going to the west end of the city now. And yes, I'd like to introduce the aforementioned Amber Morley to this uh, podcast. Amber, how are you doing tonight? I'm really good, Alan. So glad to be here with you. Thank you for um, including me and uh, providing this opportunity. I'm, I'm excited to get into it. Yeah, okay, that's great. So how is your campaign going so far? It's going really well. Um, this is not my first rodeo. I did run um, previously in 2018 for the same seat to represent residents here in Etobicoke Lakeshore. Um, so that was my first run at office, um, but had certainly been involved with politics and um, campaigns since I was a teenager in my in my neighborhood. Um, so uh, yeah, it's kind of interesting being a second time candidate. Um, obviously, having that experience under my belt and having a sense of what to expect before you know throwing my hat in into the into the race um, has been really helpful for me to uh, strategize around my campaign, as well as sort of lean into an existing um, group of supporters and uh, community champions who uh, were on my team and on my side in 2018. Okay, good. So just a brief background, and I will include this information later uh, in my post. Uh, Etobicoke Lakeshore is a ward in uh, South Etobicoke. Um, it used to be two wards. It is now one ward, but we'll get into that a bit later. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so the um, roughly population is about 110,000 probably. Uh, it includes 160,000. Oh, okay, so that, that might be, yeah, we'll bring that up later. Uh, communities in the ward include areas such as Mimico, Long Branch, and New Toronto, as well as um, the part of Etobicoke that I guess uh, stretches along the Queensway. So if you're ever in that area, that is where Amber is running. Uh, so Amber, I guess uh, my my first, I guess the initial question would be maybe just tell me a bit about yourself. Like uh, I, I guess you're born and raised in your ward. Um, I am, yeah, born and raised in in South Etobicoke, Etobicoke Lakeshore. Um, I'm 33 years old, so I guess fairly young, um, considering um, the the average age of politicians in Canada. Um, also, um, identify as someone who um, is a member of multiple equity deserving groups. Uh, obviously, I'm a woman. I'm a racialized woman. My father is um, a free diving fisherman in the Bahamas. Um, so that uh, is a little bit about my background. And my mom is an artist and a social worker. She's retired now, um, but raised my brother and I uh, pretty much on her own here and, uh, and did a great job at it. But certainly, you know, we uh, existed in... Um, in an incredibly supportive community, um, but with uh, little resources, right? Um, very low income, and we're able to tap into things like our local daycare centers, you know, our local parks and recreation programs, community centers, and things of that nature, which we were incredibly well served by. Um, and I'm proud to say my brother and I, you know, grew up to be very civically minded and, and community engaged folks. Um, my brother is an educator; he works uh, with children in the TDSB, um, and uh, and yeah, and I. I've kind of pursued um, 
a path in community building, community organizing, and I work currently as a health promoter uh, at LAMP Community Health Center, which is, um, again, a local CHC in my area uh, that I actually have been at going to and, and um, uh, being involved with in different capacities since I was about 11, 12 years old. Um, some of my time there for about a decade, I ran an organization called the South Etobicoke Youth Assembly. Um, and uh, we were all about sort of uh, advocacy, but as well creating opportunities for young people in our community to, again, be civically minded, to find their passions and their gifts and, um, and uh, sort of their paths in life and, and sort of support them in that. So those are some of the um, aspects of my background. And I think um, certainly of my uh, experiences that have brought me to uh, this, this journey of uh, running for office. Okay, uh, thanks for that answer. So uh, your background is very community minded, I guess. And, very much so. Right. So, uh, you, so even early on, you you thought about like doing something related to the city, mm -hmm. whether whether it's outside of city hall or eventually at city hall. So, like, was there a point in your life in 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 that time where you think, oh, maybe I should like try to pursue something inside Toronto City Hall in order to advance the issues that you cared about? Yeah, you know what, I worked really hard as an advocate for many, many years. Um, the organization that I ran, the South Topical Youth Assembly, we used to host all candidates debates, um, we used to do mobilizing around the election, and we were never specifically aligned with a party or necessarily, you know, encouraging folks which way to vote. For us, it was just an opportunity to inform folks about how does democracy work, what does it look like, and how do we ensure that we're counted and our voices matter. Um, so it was really a lot of just wanting to be part of a system that worked um, and that felt inclusive. And so as I navigated that journey, I came to realize that that wasn't necessarily the case. Um, you know, you can advocate till you're blue in the face, but if you don't have uh, politi politicians who have any kind of political will, lived experience or desire to make it, you know, make a difference in some of the issues um, that were of concern to us, we really didn't see any progress on them. And that was incredibly frustrating. Um, so I actually continued to pursue um, my own path. I studied public relations here in Humber College. Uh, it's one of our main community stakeholders here in South Etobicoke. They own tons of property and are continuing to develop and uh, create a lot of great spaces uh, for students and, and residents here in South Etobicoke. Um, but I did study public relations there. I've always been a great communicator. I love people. I love problem solving. You know, uh, there's a, a number of those um, skills that I have. Uh, and then I actually landed a job totally by fluke. I I didn't necessarily seek it out. It sort of found me. Um, but I ended up as an administrative assistant at Toronto City Council shortly after graduating um, from my PR program at Humber um, and was working at the time in the northern part of my ward, which was old Ward 5. Um, and, uh, and now it's part of, of the ward that I'm, I'm running to represent. So, um, so yeah, so that was a, a little bit of, um, of my background and kind of what brought me into to politics. I was working as an admin assistant, you know, really just, and it was an incredible opportunity. I had, I never really pictured myself working in that space in that capacity. And I was totally a sponge. Uh, it was a really interesting time. Uh, it was under the Rob Ford administration at the time. Uh, and there was quite a lot of media attention and other things going on around uh, that office. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a really interesting time to, um, 
get a job at City Hall and, and to, uh, to find my feet there. Um, but I did stick around at City Hall for about five years and I worked in various capacities, including most recently, I was a constituency assistant um, to the Etobicoke Lakeshore, or, sorry, the Etobicoke Centre counselor at the time. Um, and yeah, that was incredible. And I'm, I was really good at my job. I really enjoyed it. Um, but I was continually frustrated um, by the lack of representation uh, frankly, and also the lack of progress that we were making as a city in general. So as a citizen, um, that was really frustrating to me. And I felt my energy, my time could be well used um, to in this capacity to serve residents in this way. So this is yeah, I, I, was, I looked at your uh, website, which is uh, ambermorley.com and looking at your bio, you worked for uh, Councillor Peter Milchin, which uh, was then Ward Five. You said the northern part of the ward, and mm -hmm. then you uh, got a job, and then you started working as a constituency assistant for Etobicoke Centre in Ward Four for the councillor. I believe it was either John Campbell or um, Stephen Holiday. I can't remember which. It was one. John Campbell. John yeah. Campbell. Yeah, yeah. I, 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 I think John Campbell would have been more aligned with your political leanings yeah. than the other yeah, one. Yeah, a little closer to the left. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I, I'm curious myself because uh, I, 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 I do expect that people who are in, in public life who are elected, like city councilors, for example, yeah. that they're, they don't have a normal nine to five schedule. They will have to like respond on things on a weekend and, and that sort of thing. Absolutely. Like, like as when you were an administrative assistant or a constituency assistant, was that the same as well? Like you know, not, it wasn't just a typical nine to five. You also had to like respond on like unexpected periods on like a, uh, like a consist sorry, constituents concerns or an yeah. issue that they had. Like how was life, how was life for you in, in that role? Like, like it was exciting, very dynamic. I really honestly love working in the role of, of um, serving citizens, especially in the city, because you actually have access to power. You know, you can call the person in the various divisions that you need and they're responsive to you because you're calling from the counselor's office. You know, you don't have to wait in the queue or kind of, you know, all of these kinds of uh, other things that can make it really frustrating to deal um, municipally and with various departments. Um, but it was exciting. My role as a constituency assistant certainly included going out regularly to visit residents at their homes, to look at issues, you know, whether it's a new development and the neighbors looking in on their yard or, you know, a shadow impact or a chipped curb, you know, or, you know, any, all, you know, manner of issues. Um, and that was one of my favorite parts of the job was actually meeting with people, explaining to them the rules and regulations coming up with a game plan to address their issues, and then staying on top of folks to make sure that things were getting done. Um, that's something that I really, really enjoyed doing, and it was, it was a lot of fun. But what I would say in terms of your question around sort of the urgency, what we would always say is like our office is certainly an office of escalation. So usually people will call 311, you know, initiate their issues. And if they're not getting results, they'll often call the counselor at that point. Um, so certainly that is a reality, but we're not the office of emergency, right? So if it's an emergency, somebody's gonna, you know, potentially call 911 or whatever emergency services. Um, so the evening and weekend commitments typically were more like community meetings special events, um, you know, if council meetings sometimes run into like midnight, you know, there's there's those kinds of things, very jam-packed agendas um, that require a lot of time uh, from folks. And, um, you know, levies and different community events like that often take place um, or um, residents associations, you know, those kinds of things, they often meet after 
typical business hours. Um, so, and counselors should, in my opinion, be present and participatory as much as possible in, in whatever, you know, happenings uh, in the community. So it is very busy and demanding in that sense. Um, but I would say it's not as much, and of course, in a crisis situation, if there is, um, you know, an accident, violence, um, or something of that nature, certainly I think it's important for the counselors to be looped in and be present and, and showing up and commenting on those things. And you know, facilitating a response where, where appropriate. Um, but yeah, that's kind of the cadence or sort of the flow, I would say, of the demands of the job is from my experience and, and from what I saw during my time at City Hall. But that being said, that was in a 44 word scenario. Yeah, right? let's, let's the, move on. Yeah. Let's move <laughs> like on to that, that a little bit. It's a totally <laughs> different game now. Yeah. And I am very aware of that. Right. Okay. So in, in 2018, you said you it was the first time running for office. Yeah. And, and let's let me just put into a bit of a, a background as for people who are listening who may not remember what happened in the city of Toronto in 2018. Uh, so just about I think it was literally on the day of the last day to register as a candidate in 2018, the Ford government announced that Toronto City Council will be uh, reduced from 47 to 25 wards. So um, were you running in the ward south of the Queensway? That's or right. The, okay. At the time, it was Ward 6. Ward yeah. 6. And <laughs> I believe you're, you were challenging incumbent Councillor Mark Grimes. as That's I correct. Mm -hmm. uh, and then so after that reduction happened, the ward became Etobicoke Lakeshore, which mirrors these boundaries of the current federal and provincial ridings. Mm -hmm. So um, I just want to ask you, like, how, how was that transition for you? I don't, I don't even know if transition would be the best word. It sounds like the most diplomatic word to describe what happened. Very diplomatic. But it, yeah, but it seemed like, I don't know, I can't remember how many candidates were running in, in those two Etobicoke Lakeshore awards, because once you combine the two, either some would just drop out out of like frustration for mm -hmm. like what the heck or yeah. like you, you pressed on, you decided to continue your campaign. So like, what was that like? Like what were the challenges? What were the more positive aspects that came out of that um, change? Um, you'll ha I'll have to get back to you on the positive aspects because <laughs> I'm still, I'm still, other than obviously meeting uh, all of the wonderful residents and engaging with them and learning more about, you know, the, these various aspects of our community, our new community, right, larger community, um, certainly that is, is, is a process and my first job in politics was actually serving that community with Peter, so I have a lot of familiarity with them, you know, their issues and, and um, uh, some of the touch points there, uh, but it, with respect to what that was like, it was very jarring, um, very dejecting, um, and frankly, a little bit traumatic. Um, running for office, I'm sure you appreciate, is no small uh, undertaking, especially if you're running to be a serious candidate or a winning candidate. Um, I had actually left my job very prematurely in 2018 because I was so serious about, you know, dedicating as much time and energy to this. I left my job in January. I registered in May. And I was running full-fledged, raising money, printing literature, signage, design, all of these things, right up until, you know, right up until July when we got this announcement from the newly elected Ford government, elected on no platform, never having mentioned this as a potential move or even, you know, a thought. Um, and so being blindsided, completely blindsided um, by that change was, again, discouraging and dejecting. Um, I had a plan. I had confidence in my ability to win. Uh, I know my neighbors. I know my community. I had built a team like I had done the work and I knew the counselor was vulnerable and that I could take him out, frankly, or I could get his seat. Right. In in that sense. Um, and so, yeah, it changed. It changed the game entirely. Um, 
And so that was um, difficult, but luckily I have an incredible team um, who were just as passionate about the change that we're working towards as I am and who did not let me get down, you know, for more than a day, they said, all right, Amber, go, you know, go cry for the weekend. And then we're getting back to work because, you know, we, nothing changes if nothing changes. Uh, and we still need to have great candidates who we can believe in and, and vote for. And so um, we, you know, we put our heads down and we continue to, to work through. Um, and we actually were polling ahead, according to the mayor's polling, 10 days out from the election as, um, as mentioned by one of his own strategists, we were pulling well ahead of the councillor and, and the rest of the competition 10 days out from the election after that massive change, um, because we were able to shift and adapt and you know, carry our great energy and, and message forward. And, um, and, uh, and then, so the mayor did a robocall in our ward as well to, to support uh, the incoming councillor and uh, advise folks that he was in a close race with the person in third, which wasn't quite factual, but um, certainly I'm sure had the impact that the uh, intended impact um and so the incumbent councillor was re-elected um with about i think 40 percent of the vote add uh, to the 27 percent that i was able to to gain and um, was really proud of that showing well just to uh put some stats in the uh into this episode here um mark yes you mentioned in 2018 uh councillor grimes won with 40 percent of the vote you garnered an impressive 10 over close to 11,000 votes, which was about 27%. But uh, the incumbents never really cracked over 40 or even 45, uh, except for one election in like 2010. And this guy's been in office since 2003. Um, just curious, like, what is different from 2018 to the, your campaign now? I mean, I think I noticed like when I reached out to you, you had your media, you have a, you have a media spokesperson. It seems you have a good solid team around you this time. Like what's different about 2022 and in 2018? Like, I don't know, maybe even just, is there, maybe there's less candidates because it seems that yeah. there's, there's not a lot of people interested in running no. the city council. Now, not even the current counselors, they don't want the job anymore. Um, yeah, yeah, you would, you would hope, right? That'll exactly. make it easier for you. Crazy, like crazy times. Um, but yeah, so um, sorry. Repeat your question for me one more time. I, like what's I, the, like what's what's different now in, oh, right. in the campaign than it was in right. twenty eighteen? Yeah. Um, so I'm a big believer in teamwork makes the dream work. Uh, I'm a big believer in collaboration in uh, in. Uh, empowerment and engagement of folks and everyone contributing where they where they can. Um, so both in 2018 and this this time around, uh, I very much was intentional about building a strong team uh, around me. And so I, I had both of those, uh, I had that intention and I have been really successful and grateful um, for the incredible people who've come you know, to the table um, in both instances. I would say this time around, and so in 2018, there was like minimum a dozen candidates. I, I think there was at least um, nine registered candidates by this point. Um, and so right now there's only two folks registered in, in our ward, um, myself and one other. The incumbent counselor has not registered again and hasn't made public his intention whether or not he will be running again. Um, as I'm sure you know, the deadline is quickly approaching. So we are you know, awaiting to see what happens with regard to that um, but we're continuing to work our plan like in elections the person who gets to the most doors and has the most conversations has the strongest chance of winning and um, I've always been a worker bee I've always been a hard worker I pride myself on that um, and uh, I'm willing to do the work and and my team and I have been out 
getting it done. Um, so we're raising money. Our goal is to raise about $90,000. Um, we are <laughs> quite a ways away. Um, and we encourage folks to, to um, check out the website, as you mentioned, ambermorley.com forward slash donate if they want to support our effort um, and uh, see me elected to city, city council this time around. And so um, that work continues, but we have 50,000 pieces of introductory lit that we've printed uh, and over 35,000 have already been delivered. So our team is incredibly um, committed and passionate through the heat waves, through you know the pandemic. Um, they're continuing to pound the pavement and make sure that everyone in Etobicoke Lakeshore knows about me as a candidate and knows about the upcoming election. Um, and we'll of course be shifting to proper door knocking and canvassing and engaging more deeply with folks um, once the, uh, once our first piece of lit is completely distributed throughout the ward. So yeah, it is a quite an undertaking, a very large, um, a very large community to, to cover. Um, but together with my team, we're getting it done. Cool. Uh, let's get into some uh, issues uh, that are important in Etobicoke uh, Lakeshore. Mm -hmm. I'm just taking a look at this uh, report that came out from the, this organization called the uh, Action on Poverty, Alliance for Poverty-Free Toronto. Mm -hmm. And they're looking at uh, stats for Etobicoke Lakeshore, and it says um, population living in poverty is about 18%. Mm -hmm. um, tenant households, 39.9, so close to 40% of your, uh, your residents are uh, tenants. Mm -hmm. And uh, children living under 18 living in poverty, 21%. So, like, you know, looking at those stats, it's like you look at a place like Etobicoke and you can see that there are like a lot of new high rises and um, new developments. But there's also like what I seem see as a trend in like suburban communities is that there's sort of like hidden poverty that's not as well seen. Um, mm -hmm. It's more visible in downtown Toronto, but like are, are issues of like poverty and like homelessness, how, how big are those issues in your ward and how are you going to address them if you become the counselor? Yeah, thank you for the question. Um, they're definitely huge. Um, the Toronto Poverty Reduction Strategy came out, I don't want to think about how long ago, um, but quite some time ago, and there was some very specific recommendations um, included with that. And of course, as seems to be a trend with our city, is we like to adopt reports in principle and say that we agree with this thing called poverty reduction, or you know, we agree with cycling or transit or whatever. Um, but when it comes to budget time, when it comes to making the investments and, and providing the leadership to make the connections to actually move these recommendations forward, we're falling flat. Um, and that's unacceptable. Children growing up in poverty in the city of Toronto, in my opinion, is unacceptable. Um, and we can and should and need to do better as a city. Um, there are, as I said, many recommendations that folks who are much smarter and much more, you know, um, um, informed on these issues than I am have put forward and need to be supported. So a big part of my, my, my messaging uh, this time around is it's, not about going to reinvent the wheel. It's about providing the leadership and political will to move forward on these visionary statements that we have, but that we haven't been working on. So housing, TO, we have a 10-year action plan, right? Transit, we have many action plans and master plans. And again, we continue to see um, decision-making on council that's not in alignment with the things that we're adopting in principle and is not representing the, the values or interests of Torontonians and continuing to leave a lot of folks behind. Um, so I mentioned to you earlier, I grew up uh, in Southern Topical, born and raised. I live in a cooperative housing um, community, and there is about um, half a dozen buildings built in my area. 
Um, and growing up, doing a lot of the advocacy that we um, were doing at, at the time with SEA, as I mentioned, 40% of the families here were living in poverty, just in our own little block alone in New Toronto. And, but on the cross the street, there's multi-million dollar houses along the lakeshore, right? And folks who are um, living in a completely different socioeconomic um, um, category. And so how do, we, how do we build a city where we are addressing that divide as opposed to exacerbating it? That's, that's my interest and that's my hope um, in terms of um, getting in as a counselor and, and providing leadership on some of these important files like poverty reduction. Yeah, you mentioned that the city needs to somehow move beyond just issuing visionary statements and then actually implementing them. But but yeah. but lately, it seems that even just the nuts and bolts are a, a, a bit of a challenge in the city of Toronto. I, I'm I'm seeing pictures all over social media every day of like overflowing garbage cans, yeah. um, public restrooms locked, uh, yeah. so swimming pools that are being told are closed, like. What, what is that a failure of? Like, I don't even know which category to put that in as an issue. Like, I don't know if it's infrastructure or just government services or just- Leadership, in my <laughs> mind, leadership. Um, because I will be the kind of counselor who either shows up myself, but again, knowing this 25 word scenario, there's like gonna be, there's huge demand on counselors' times in with respect to participating within obviously council meetings, community council meetings, standing committees, and various other responsibilities um, that each counselor are assigned. Um, but it, showing up and supporting residents with their various issues and concerns and ensuring a high quality of life and a high quality of service is absolutely critical to me. Having good relationships with our public service and with leaders within the public service so that our office can ensure that action is taken in a, you know what I mean, on a, on a timely basis on some of these matters um, would be a, a key priority of mine. Um, and like doing regular weekly visits to the constituency, right? I live here. I live in the ward. I walk the ward. I, you know, I um, I'm down on the lake all the time. I ride my bike in the ward. So it's something that I'm very familiar with. I call 311, you know, when there's garbage overflowing and these kinds of things. Um, but as a counselor, you know, you have even more power uh, and capacity to get immediate and or short-term action on important issues like that. And then you mentioned the washroom lockout piece. Um, that's actually more of a policy issue in some cases, right, with council, and it's a decision of the larger council, but putting motions forward to ensure access for, for folks who are um, enjoying our beautiful public parks, that should be a minimum, in my opinion. We have an incredible, capable public service who can maintain um, these facilities, and we need to support them to do that and support Torontonians to access these facilities that they've paid for uh, and, and deserve. Uh so I believe when uh, you mentioned you when you talked about your time as a constituency assistant, you mentioned how sometimes you have to respond to residents who had concerns about issues like, uh, you know, the, the shadow over their property from the building next door. And when I hear that, it's like one of those common reasons why local residents seems to um, be opposed to new developments that come in, no matter whether that development application has met all the criteria that it has to. And I think development is, no matter if it's your ward or it is another ward in Toronto or anywhere else in Ontario, frankly, it seems to be like affordable housing is a major issue, but you know, development is also like, it, it, it kind of buttresses against um, local concerns and that's always a challenge. Um, my understanding is the current councillor has 
some interesting ties to the, the development industry that uh, we don't want to get. I don't want to get into that right now. But this mm -hmm. is about you. But um, it's not like what I'm trying to say is that development the, the developers are evil or anything like that. It's like they're a, ne they're a necessity. But like, how do you how do you like manage the need to build more housing versus like trying to address people's local concerns? You know how does yeah. how do you balance that? Again, uh, I know it sounds really like basic and simple, but I genuinely believe it comes down to leadership. Um, I agree with you. I don't think that developers are like some evil um, thing that we need to villainize or work against per se. I think, frankly, developers are key stakeholders who are we need to get busy on building things like affordable housing in our city. And so working collaboratively with folks who have the capacity to build the infrastructure that we need, uh, incentivizing them to do so, and working both with them and city planning and local communities, centering community voice to ensure that whatever is coming into neighborhoods uh, represents complete communities and is a benefit not only to um, the folks who are going to join our community as new residents in these developments, but also a benefit to the residents who are already existing and, and living in, and enjoying um, our community. And so um, taking their needs into, and uh, concerns into consideration is, is critical, um, but then advocating those and working collaboratively to ensure that we're not having a situation where we're building a wall of condos and we don't have the infrastructure to, su to support the residents there. And then the little bit of infrastructure that does exist is being um, compromised for existing residents. So an example of, of, of that in our community is the Parklawn and Lakeshore, Humber Bay Shores community. It's an incredible community. It's beautiful. There's um, views of the city of Toronto, views of the uh, Lake Ontario. You can even see on a clear day down straight through to the United States. Um, and there's gorgeous parks in that area. However, there's been such an influx of, of people and we haven't kept up with our transit. We haven't kept up with uh, social services. Um, and frankly, kids are having to bus into schools because there's not enough spaces within our local schools. So, you know, I'm not anti-development. I think development is critical, especially we have 100,000 people plus on a wait list. That's over 10 years to get into affordable housing. We absolutely need to get busy um, on affordable housing. and We need to be building that not only building it, but also better regulating the existing supply, frankly. Um, but, um, but yeah, I think there is work to be done um, and showing up, you know, hosting those consultations, um, carrying those messages forward, and really just being mindful of, you know, the community characteristic and the community experience that we want to um, um, maintain while we're building um, and we're seeing our community grow is really, really important to me. Okay, so I have a few more questions left. Um, gotta get in a couple of more wonky questions. So uh, Premier Ford recently announced that he would like to launch a pilot project to enact strong mayor powers, quote unquote, for Toronto and Ottawa. Mm -hmm. So um, just wondering, what is how, how do you feel about this? Uh, I mean, I have my own personal um, feelings towards it, but I'd like to hear from you first and then maybe we could dive deeper into that. Yeah, um, I have a lot of feelings, Alan. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, you know, it's interesting. Um, there's been a lot of attempts to make city council more effective, I think, by this premier and by this government. I don't know that they have paid off. Um, I know initially with the um, announcement and the move to cut 
the awards to 25, it was to save $25 million and you know, all of these kinds of things. I don't know that anyone has actually done an audit on how it's all shaken out, but I can almost guarantee you it has not resulted in any savings. Um, and I'm sure it's actually cost significantly more to um, taxpayers in, in the province. Um, and so, you know, for me, it's uh, a little bit of an exercise in frustration uh, when we are governing from a place of, Hmm. Um, not a not a practical place. Um, I really believe in in, in, in pragmatic approaches um, to to efficient government, um, but I don't think that some of the approaches that we've seen come down from this government have resulted in that. Um, as it relates to the strong mayor powers, you may have seen. I'm not sure if you're a follower of. of City Hall Watcher, um, Matt Elliott does a really great um, piece and he highlighted, he did a, an analysis of this actually recently and said, well, 97.7% of the time, um, the mayor actually, uh, his his items on council or, you know, his, um, his pieces are typically supported by council, right? That's part of the work is collaborating with your colleagues and getting folks on site in advance of votes and, you know, understanding all of those pieces. So um, the mayor has historically had a lot of support on council, as you know, uh, we've had a very uh, right-leaning council um, for the last, I would say, couple of decades, but definitely a couple of terms, number of terms, um, and at least four terms. And um, yeah, so this is going to be a change election, and the mayor may need that veto power <laughs> um, if we get a couple of progressives in, but um, we'll see how that all shakes out. Yeah, uh, I guess the way I look at it is because like, I look at the results from the last election. John Tory got close to 500,000 raw votes just voting for him as mm -hmm. mayor. Like That's more than the premier would get in his own riding. That's more mm -hmm. than like individual MPP would get in their own riding. That's mm -hmm. definitely more than an individual city councilor would get in their ward and yet the mayor is expected to be like an equal on, on an equal footing with the members of council so he would be just like one vote on council so I, I think for me there's a bit of a disconnect in that and then like my, I guess my concern is like it's an import it's sort of an import from American political systems I don't know how well that would jive up here in terms mm -hmm. of like governing our cities but um yeah it, it mean I wish there would be more debate on this rather than just being imposed on us. On that, we agree. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, I guess like my last two questions are a bit of a softball. And uh, I guess like, um, I think I looked this up before and you, I probably know the answer. Like, who are your inspirations? Like what, who are the people that kind of inspired you to do what you do? Yeah, that's a great question. Um, honestly, I I feel like I'm like an, I'm an auntie to a lot of young people. <laughs> um, there's a lot of kids in my neighborhood who I care deeply about and I care about their futures and I care about, you know, the opportunities that they have in this world and, and how they have to navigate this world. Um, they motivate me. They drive me every day. I had a niece uh, born last year, late last year. And, um, uh, and so I'm really motivated by the young people in my life um, because of some of my experiences as a racialized person, as a, you know, someone growing up in poverty, um, I want better for them. Um, but I've also been incredibly inspired by leaders in my community, uh, like Jean Augustine, uh, who has just an absolutely um, incredible legacy of service um, and accomplishment in Etobicoke Lakeshore and, uh, and in Canada, frankly, right? She's, she's really um, made waves, um, both for the Black women and Black community, uh, as well as just for um, our community uh, 
uh, on a whole. Um, so Jean is someone who's incredibly inspiring to me when I was a young woman in middle school. Uh, she was our MP uh, and I remember her visiting the school and she had these great little like certificates that she would give to the student of the month, you know, that was signed in her name and just was a really lovely acknowledgement uh, and validation from someone important, you know, uh, to receive as a young person. Um, and I just remember her consistently being present uh, and participatory in community. And that was uh, really uh, inspiring and encouraging to me. And as I continued my advocacy journey and my in involvement in politics, I later ran into um, kind of working within my current counselor um, and had a very different experience in terms of how I was engaged or not and how I was treated as a resident uh, or heard or not. And, uh, and that was frustrating to me. And so um, no one else has, has um, you know, uh, gotten as close as I have, frankly, uh, in recent years. And, and so I really hope to get over the top this time. Okay, cool. Uh, so uh, I guess uh, my last real question, um, a little more fun. Um, <laughs> I like fun. For those visiting your ward, like what are the best, is there like something that if we would go to, if, we were, if I was to go to Etobicoke Lakeshore, mm -hmm. like is there like a particular restaurant or place that I definitely would need to go? Yes. Oh my God. That's a great question and definitely lots of fun. Um, there actually was a recent star article, I want to say, about a section in New Toronto, which is right where I live, literally like one block away, um, between about Kipling and Lakeshore and Islington and Lakeshore. There's a stretch of like mom and pop restaurants. Um, so you can find everything from Caribbean um, food to like a Polish bakery. Um, and there's a gentleman named George. I have to shout out George because George is a staple in the community. Um, he has been uh, running his business for over 50 years and he has a, a sub shop, submarine shop. Um, he makes every single sub by hand. Uh, and I've been going to see George since I was a young woman, you know, roaming the streets and getting into trouble uh, as a young teenager. But George is still to this day, you know, right on Lakeshore, Islington and Lakeshore um, on the south uh west corner uh, of the block and um the submarine shop and then you could grab a sub and walk straight down 7th street to a beautiful park uh, at the bottom of the street and there's a gorgeous lake view you can see the city and again you can see across to uh, some of our other neighbors and like hamilton and st Catharines and others depending on how uh, bright the day is so it's a gorgeous community i feel absolutely blessed and privileged to live here um i've always lived near like i've always been near water um, my father lives on an island and so I, you know I spent a lot of time on the water there and of course here I've been beside the water my whole life and uh, it's a it's a really um, just special place and I'm really looking forward to making it even better. Well Amber I wish you the best of luck in your campaign. Uh, this is Amber Morley she's running in Ward 3 at Tobago Lakeshore. Uh, the election is on October 24th. So Amber, for those of uh, out there who want to find out more information about you or reach out to your campaign or maybe even want to volunteer for you, how can they find you? For sure. So we're at Morley for Ward 3, spelled uh, F-O-R Ward 3, uh, across all socials. You can check me out on my website at ambermorley.com. Uh, I am going to be doing an update to the website later this month when we release our second piece of lit that will have a little bit more of our platform pieces and our value statements. Um, and folks can also go to ambermorley.com forward slash volunteer to sign up to join our team, drop lit and hit the doors um, and canvas, or also similarly ambermorley.com forward slash donate to make a contribution. And anybody in the province of Ontario can contribute to a municipal campaign. Um, you don't have to live 
in the in the city or even in um, the the ward specifically. So any support is most appreciated, uh, and we really look forward to getting this thing done and bringing some some fresh perspective to City Hall and and uh, to the future of Toronto. Well, cool. Uh, well, thank you very much, Amber, for uh, your time. I know you're very busy with your campaign, and I just want to thank you again for sitting down with me with this for this interview. And uh, so this is the Immunity Poly Matters podcast. Uh, I am once again, Alan, um, signing off. And I want to thank Amber Morley again for her time uh, this evening. Thank you. Thank you, Alan. Take good care.